0: It's great great to see everyone this morning. Um, I know there's a few new people here, so welcome. Uh, I got to meet a few of you briefly this morning. Um, So welcome to Bible study. We're so glad that you're here. Thank you for those who brought a friend or invited or told someone. If you're listening uh, and you're not able to make it today, um, I hope that you enjoy this session. Uh, I I called Shannon yesterday because I needed something urgent from her. And you don't bother Shannon on Monday because that's her study day. But I had, I had to bother her and I knew I was like, oh no, what version am I gonna get? Cause when she's in, when she's studying, it's really hard to pull her away. So I had to talk to her for a second. And she says to me, this book is just really hard. And I didn't really process it until I hung up the phone and then I did, make, did a couple emails. And then I said, you know, we're pretty lucky that we have someone who's willing to sit in the hard because I think a lot of us here aren't and I know for me as a new mom, sometimes it's just hard to um, sit at home and take care of a baby all day and feed myself and get my get my face in the book. And so we're just really lucky and I'm so blessed to have Shannon who who is studying the really hard stuff because this is really hard. And so it's my encouragement to you this week, if you're a new mom or just anyone in the room, um, that we take some time to just sit in the hard place because I know that we probably all are experiencing something difficult in our lives. Um, And so we just sit and wrestle with that and allow God to teach us and to really get our face in the book and study and study hard because that's what Shannon does. And that's what we all should be doing. It'll point us closer to Christ. So enjoy this session and let's pray for Shannon because today is really hard. You wanna pray for me? Yes, let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Tuesday. God, we thank you for every day. We thank you for your word, which is living and breathing. God, I just pray over Shannon this morning that um, she would just be filled with you, Lord, that she would just be peaceful. God, and that the spirit would just teach through her. Um, I pray that she'll be confident in the time that she spent with you over these years. I pray that she'll be confident in the time that she spent yesterday preparing for this message. Lord, and I pray that everyone in this room um, would just be full of your confidence today, God. And I pray that uh, through this difficult chapter that we would just examine our own lives of where things are hard. Lord, and I pray um, that we would just sit in that, Lord, and that you would teach us each individually in our own time with you um, how to walk through those hard things, just as Daniel did um, in a time that where people really didn't want to have to deal with, with you at all. We thank you for Shannon, and we just pray um, over her, and thank you for her wisdom and her guidance in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen.
1: While she was talking, I, what? Oh, Taylor, your phone. Um, while she was talking I just kept I don't know if anybody's mind went back when you talk about sitting in the heart or wrestling I always go back to Jacob you know Jacob on his way back to the promised land after pretty much he'd been in exile and he's coming back and you remember he wrestles with God and um And he wrestles all night, and and God allows it, just lets him wear him out, like just wrestle and wrestle. And at the end of the day, the Lord touches his hip and pops his hip out of socket, but at the end of the day, Jacob holds on for dear life and just says, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. So even sitting in the hard and in the wrestling, at the end of the day, if we just hold on to him, it's a win, right and and i will say that i'm i'm the kind of person um when i study it's why i'm good at math i want the answer i don't know if anybody else is like me i would rather do math than write a paper hand it into a teacher and a teacher didn't like the way i wrote the paper right but if you do math what there's an answer Okay, now teachers are a little wiggy today because you have to have their process for the answer, which, you know, in the real world, nobody cares about your process. All right, they want the answer. And I, I can remember I was in chemistry. My dad has his PhD in chemistry, okay? He's a smart man, he's the mad scientist. And I didn't understand it, and so my dad was helping me with chemistry. And you can imagine what occurred, because I then was telling him, well, that's not how my teacher does it. <laughs> and he's like, well, Shannon, I don't really care how your teacher does it. Do you want the right answer? Because this is how you get the right I go, no, but I'm going to get points off if I don't do it the way my teacher does it. And, a- and you can imagine. So two strong heads, just we, we're fighting over there you know and at the end of the day my dad gets so irritated with me that he looks at me and he goes shannon i don't care how your teacher does it i have a phd in chemistry i could teach your teacher if you want the right answer do what i'm telling you and i was like so i just you know did what he told me and at the end of the day, I got the right answer. And I figured, well, if I get enough right answers, if she fails me because I didn't do the process, I'm just going to release the Kraken, call my dad. <laughs> and he's going to go in there. But the reason I, I always was the kind of person that if I studied hard enough, I'd find the answer. Part of that makes me a really good Bible teacher. Part of that stressed me out for a lot of years. Because I had to learn to sit in the mystery. I had to learn to sit in the, I don't know, I don't know if I get this. And maybe I don't get it because I wasn't meant to fully get that right there. It's kind of interwoven, it's, it's open-ended. We don't know how, and man, has that been hard for me. And the prophets have been very hard for me, that's why I like them. Um, because in the prophets, the majority of what prophets talk about to be honest with you, is coming soon in that generation. That's what they're talking about. And they do it with prophetic language and poetry and imagery, but they're talking about judgments that are coming soon to that generation. But then all of a sudden, like mid-sentence, they start talking about way off. And, And you don't even know like the transition. Somewhere in the middle of this Prophetic poetry, it sounds like all of, a, some, all of a sudden we're talking about the entire cosmos, right? The majority of it is coming soon, but then there's this idea of all things being made right in the end, and it's very hard. It's kind of similar if you've ever gone hiking, okay, and you get up and you see mountains in the distance. Sometimes you feel like, oh yeah, I'm just going to hike right over to that mountain. Oh, okay. Then you get up on one, right, and you realize how far off that really is. But for some perspective, it seems really close, but it's really not. All of that is involved with prophecy and end times. And so I'm just going to tell you, um, I do have a bent. I have an end time belief. And you're going to see it play out. And you're going to, every pastor you have or teacher you have, they have an end-time eschatology, and you are going to, bottom line, hear it. Come out of them. The thing is, you don't have to agree with me. And it's 100% okay. There are really, really smart people who are way smarter than me that do not agree on end time uh, eschatology and um, but i will say this i've put a whole lot of time into it over the years and so i'm pretty secure where i fall but there is no way as i teach you the book of daniel that i will be able to defend every little ounce of what i believe and why it's not going to happen because in the process i also want you to come in here And I want this to be a book of what? Hope and encouragement. And at the end of the day, it's not a book of charts and timelines for us to argue over. But it is a book reminding us what? Well, number one, we win. Okay? However we get there. And number two, that until then, until that day, what is our job? Endure. And remain faithful. That is our job. And whatever we do, we can't lose sight of this kingdom mentality. Because this theme of the kingdoms has been running through from the very beginning. The tale of two kingdoms. And to be quite honest, how you live out your life shows Honestly, what has happened on the inside of you and if you truly are a citizen of a heavenly kingdom If you are this is what that looks like Last night. I wasn't going to share this with you, but last night I was still studying at 830 at night and I was so sick of my office That I thought I got to get out of here. I'm about to lose my mind So I decided I was just gonna go eat somewhere and study. I do this a lot But I have to pick kind of weird places where I can just kind of go back in a corner and I cannot run into any of you people. (laughs) Y'all do realize I can't go anywhere without chatting, right? So I go to the Village Inn. And I'm like reminded me of my Baylor days when I would stay up all night studying for something. I'd go to you know IHOP right there on campus. So I go to Village and I'm studying, and they're awesome. Like they'll create a healthy meal for you. And then the crazy thing is, I got grilled chicken and uh, like asparagus and I don't know, all green and all protein. And then she comes by. We're having a special today. You can get any piece of pie for free. <laughs> I'm like, be gone, Satan. I'm trying. But then I thought, well, I can't turn down a free piece of pie. So it's in my fridge. If my dad is sweet, I might take it to him later. I don't know. But I did have one bite, just the one on the end. So anyway, I'm there, and I'm leaving. And this young kid that was uh, waiting on me, He wasn't a very good waiter, but he was so sweet that you just couldn't help but love him. Like, he forgot everything. He didn't know anything, but he was precious, and I thought you were so cute. So we're leaving, and this couple in front of me goes out, and I hear them a little bit talking to him. And uh, they hand him a card. And they say, hey, you're such a kind young man. Uh, We just really enjoyed being with you. And we're going to give you this card. This website is a great website to go to. And it has a lot of encouraging things. I'm thinking, hmm, that's interesting. So I walk up. And the first thing he says, did you get all your studying done? I said, well, not all of it. But I'm as good as I'm probably going to get. And he goes, what are you studying? I said, the Bible. And then we got in this whole conversation. And he said, hmm, he said, well, that's interesting. He goes, I get people in here a lot. Like, did you hear the people right before you? I said, yeah, I heard it. I go, do you mind if I see that card? And he goes, no. So he hands me the card. It's Jehovah Witness. And I said, I, I knew it was, but I said, you know what? He said, so I get a lot of that. And I said something about uh, Christianity being a little bit different. He goes, how so? This is all at the register. And I said, well, would you like me to tell you the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world? And he goes, yeah. So I went through it, just like I go through it, you know, with my funny examples or different things he can understand. And he goes, wow, that is a beautiful story. He goes... I've never heard that before, but that makes a whole lot more sense to me because I've never understood this whole religion thing because it's only about the final destination and not about life now. And I went, that might be one of the smartest things I've heard a young person say in a really long time. And I said, you're right, because most of the time when you hear people preaching the gospel, they're preaching it like it's fire insurance. And, you know, just saving you from eternal damnation and you just better check that box so that your eternal life is secure. But they do not talk about how it should affect this life because eternal life starts today. We become a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. What does that look like? Well, the kingdom of God comes to earth through us because we start living as if we're already there. And I said, and then that I said, so remember what I told you about works? I go, we do not work to be saved. We are transformed into good works because we are saved. We get a new nature. And we started talking. He's like, wow. He goes, what church you go to? <laughs> I told him. And I said, if you ever want to hear my story, I said, because I've been through some stuff. I said, go online at ccv.church and pull up uh, mother's day message 2021 and you can hear i'm not just i'm not just talking stuff like this is the anchor of my soul what i'm telling you he's like okay i will i said when do you work he said the weekends and most of the time mondays i said well i study on mondays i said maybe i'll come studying here often on mondays and i said and then if you have questions guess what you got some crazy bible woman in the corner you can come ask but here's the thing All of that does apply to this because I can study and I can study and I can study and I can debate you. And trust me, I actually can. And I can uh, talk about my side and charts and tables and what I think is going to happen. But did you hear what he said? How does that affect the here and now of our life? What I do not ever want to be is that scholar that gets so dogmatic, and by the way, when they get that dogmatic, they just seem angry, and who wants to talk to Who wants to listen to them? You know? And what they do is they keep their head down all the time because they're studying. They have to be right, and they want to figure out these charts, and the problem is they forget to lift up their eye and realize that there is a harvest out there, and we're not going to reach them arguing over end time eschatology right so i'm saying all that to tell you you can disagree with me but you're going to hear my bent okay and we're not going to fight about it so don't kill the messenger right and also can i challenge you don't be the cancel cancel culture either we talk about that in our world and in politics we are the worst about it in church The minute someone is not in your tribe of how you see something, then you think that all that they have to say is irrelevant. I'm going to tell you what, I can eat crumbs off of any table. I may not agree with a whole lot of things that maybe a pastor says, but there'll be something that I can hold on to that I go, you know what, that right there, that was for me today. So that is just to encourage you. Let's stay in this game, all right? But it's about to get real. And these are not easy to teach. These visions are not easy to teach. And I would really like to be absent next week. But um, we're going to do it. So if you remember the last point I made at the end of chapter 7, okay, um, when we saw this ferocious beast and we were talking about the fact of um, this little horn And I basically laid out for you um, two ideas, maybe three, two major ideas of of what that is or who that is. Um, We looked at the fact that some people believe that that little horn is Antiochus Epiphanes, and we're going to talk about him a lot today. Okay, That he um, was the little horn, that he came out of the Syrian empire, um, which ended up, being a part of of, um, what came out of the Greek empire. And so, and Antiochus Epiphany, remember he conquered Jerusalem. He made worship of uh, Yahweh illegal. We're going to look at that in detail today. He murdered all kinds of Jewish people in the temple courts. He stopped the sacrificial system. Um, And we also have um, the connection there when you're talking about kings, Of When he made his triumphal entry or when Judas Maccabeus rose up against Antiochus Epiphanes, you recall last week we talked about how Judas Maccabeus rode into Jerusalem and you have this whole triumphal entry scene with um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and the palm branches, which are a symbol of Jewish independence. So you kind of have that that idea that goes through that. Some people will say well, it's not even exhausted um, there, that you can keep going. It could be Rome, which then parallels with the statue, right, that in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, and that it can be affiliated with what happened in Jerusalem in AD 70 with the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem, okay? But there is basically that view is that these events were... Um, earthly empires of history. But it doesn't mean that they completely exhaust that. It means that they can leave it open, that the beast will continue to come. And along the way, you will always see the rising up of these horns, this system of antichrist. Do you understand? And throughout the future, we have seen various, what we would call antichrists, Arise and cause great destruction, and you can you can ride that all the way to Revelation, where you still have the image of the beast. Okay, others believe that this um, procession of beasts from chapter seven um, that it is about future events in and around Jerusalem, that it involves God's people coming back. Oh, God's people, sorry, the Jewish people coming back. To Jerusalem, uh, rebuilding the temple, reestablishing the sacrificial system, and that that will usher in a future Antichrist, okay? So there are the two, um, that's kind of where we we left off yesterday, I mean yesterday, see I'm losing my mind, last week. And so that's it. I then said to you, but what concerns me the most, right, is... um, how Jesus used it. That, that to me is what concerns me the most. I'm more interested in how Jesus used this. So look at really quick, and we're going to look here several times, Matthew 26. Because Jesus used these references in, uh, of Daniel To say some important things. All right, so I'm going to read Matthew 26 57 through 64. I think I told y'all to read that, didn't I? Did you have some homework? Did you fail? Okay. At least we're honest. It says, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none though many false witnesses came forward. At last, who came forward and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Okay, so that's the accusation. It's, that means something. And the high priest stood up and said, do you remember when he said that, by the way, just to remind you? When did Jesus said, tear down this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days? It's when he cleansed the temple. And they asked him, why do you think you have the authority to do so? Right? And what sign are you going to show us that you have the authority to do this? And he answered that by saying, destroy this temple. And I will raise it up in three days. They said, what sign? And what did he say? This will be your sign. The destruction of the temple and what? and his resurrection we know that now looking back right because remember he is what the temple he is the fulfillment of all of the law he fulfilled it all and so that that was what he had said to them now this accusation comes up again now follow the thought have you no answer to make what is it that these man, men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to them, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, Did any of your Bibles say from this moment? From this time? Okay, from now on right here you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Okay? What did he quote? Daniel chapter 7. Okay? So here's the scene. We have a courtroom, which we also had, if you recall, in Daniel chapter 7. It was the Ancient of Days. And all he did, there was no questioning the Ancient of Days. When that courtroom happened, it was done. He opened the official book, and the beast was destroyed. Period. Okay? But now we have this courtroom, and all the leadership of Israel are here. The high priest is there. All the priests are there. The entire council. All the elders. And the Sanhedrin, which is their what? It's their court. It's the law. Okay? And they are about to execute him on what they know to be false charges. Right? And the false charge is that he said that he could tear the temple down and raise it up in three days. Just let that be in the back of your mind. And so they ask him, tell us if you are the Christ. And he says, you say so. Isn't it interesting? We talked about this last week when I went on my tear that they're still asking this question. I mean, what else could he possibly do to show evidence of who he is? He has been testifying about it. His works, okay, under the authority of the Father have been testifying about it. All of Scripture has testified about who he is. John said, really, that they could not, they could not see because they refused to see they're not operating on logic or fact because if they were how do you deny he came preaching uh, good news to the poor he heals the sick he commands creation He miraculously feeds 5,000 and then claims to be the bread of life. He says, I am the living water. I am the light of the world. He is claiming to be the I am that I am, that they are remembering in all of their feasts. And he has raised the dead. What evidence do they want? Are you the Christ? He says, you say so. Why didn't he flat out answer that? Because their idea of a Christ and a Messiah had become warped to mean what? A political earthly king that would free them, if you remember, from Roman oppression. What they were looking for when they were waving those palm branches was they wanted Jesus to do to the Romans what Judas Maccabeus had done to the Greeks, Okay, And so this was their idea. So he doesn't, he doesn't go that direction. He never called himself the Christ because of that. So in return, he calls himself what? The son of man. So he is going to make it evident who he's claiming to be. And by the way, these are the only people Jesus is harsh with. The religious leaders. He's harsh with them because they've been abusing their authority. They have been distorting the truth. He called them blind guides. Woe to you, you whitewashed tombs. I mean, that's rude. You whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside is death. It's rotting flesh, right? And he says, you have trampled the people of Israel. You have trampled them. He says, from this point, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds in heaven, quoting Daniel 7. He is telling them that the moment you sentence me to death is the moment the Son of Man, who represented who, by the way? In in chapter 7, who inherited the kingdom forever? You remember? Remember? There were two that were used synonymous throughout the dream. It was the son of man and the saints, the holy ones, the saints, right? But you see the son of man receiving the kingdom. Why? He is their representative. He is their king. Because he allowed, and you see it all through Daniel, right? This stone that comes crashing in that destroys the empires of the world, it seems so violent. But how did it actually happen? Jesus became the cornerstone. He is the stone of stumbling because it was opposite of what you normally see. This violent destruction actually happened by him laying his life down on a cross, and then that stone does what? It grows into a mountain that fills the whole earth. That was that dream in Daniel chapter 2. and But we're seeing right here in Daniel 7, we see that the beasts seem to be trampling over the one like the Son of Man or the Holy Ones. But then what? court is set the books are open and then you see one like the son of man that representative that king he comes on the clouds and is presented to the ancient of days and he is given full dominion and we're going to see that he is worshipped and his kingdom will be forever and he represents the saints the holy ones and so Here he is saying the moment you sentence me to death is the moment the Son of Man or representative of the Holy Ones will be vindicated and exalted to the right hand of God the Father. The very thing that you are seeking to do because you don't realize you're the beast, but the very thing you're sentencing me or you're attempting to do is the very thing that is gonna usher in the new kingdom and the son of man will be presented to the ancient of days and he will be seated at the right hand of God and he will be given absolute dominion. Okay, and we're, we're not gonna exhaust this yet because I'm gonna talk about it in chapter eight. So, but here's the point I wanna make right now. So who is Jesus implying he is? Easy question, it's not a trick. The Son of Man. So in chapter 7 of Daniel, there's really only, I'm going to call them characters, there's really only three characters. There is the Ancient of Days, there's the Son of Man, which represents the Holy Ones, and then there are the Beasts. The Son of Man represents the Holy Ones, okay? And then there are the Beasts, So if he is saying, well, we know who the Ancient of Days is. God. Nobody would argue. God the Father. Okay, If he's claiming to be the Son of Man, who is he then telling them they are? The beasts. Right? That they're trampling over the innocent. The leaders of Israel have become the beasts. Jerusalem has become Babylon. I want you to let that sink in. Jerusalem has become Babylon. You see, Adam was supposed to bring the kingdom of God to earth. But what happened? Sin, and he failed. And then what did it start to look like? Well, uh, it got bad real quick. Matter of fact, by chapter 11 of Genesis, we have the original Babel, right? Violence under one leadership, rebellion against God, building an earthly empire. Do you see what we do? And then God came down and confused the languages and spread it out. Then what did he do? Then he called a man by the name of Abraham. Abram, Abraham. Right, The father of all nations, by the way. Keep that in mind when his name was changed. And from that family, he created a new nation, a holy nation, his nation. Okay, A nation of priests, he called it. My beloved. And he coveted himself to that nation. And he called them his firstborn. And what were they supposed to do? I'm going to bless you so that you will be A blessing all nations of the earth will be blessed through you and yes it means the coming of the Messiah but it also means I'm going to bless you so that all nations of the earth will be blessed when God blesses he doesn't bless us to keep he blesses us to what give we are to we are blessed so that we can be a blessing and the nation of Israel was supposed to be different And display the kingdom of God amongst the empires of the world and what has happened they've turned into Babylon that's what and so at the end of the day Israel could not do their job they had become corrupt God's own calling for the son of man's death and what do they know he is innocent They are trampling over the innocent. I think we have to be careful using Daniel as merely a timeline and a set of charts, arguing over whether it is all past events or all future events. I think one thing Daniel is, is it gives us a pretty good idea of a type of humanity. The fact is, eventually, if we refuse to submit to the authority of God, all humans Human kingdoms, whether secular or religious, become beasts. They have become fearful, self-protective, corrupt, and violent. And so what does he do? He calls a spade a spade. You're the beast, and you're about to kill the Son of Man, who is the only true Israel. I want you to hear that. He was the only true Israel. Adam couldn't do it. The nation of Israel, no one could step up and bring the kingdom of God to man, unite that nobody he was the only true he is the son of man that representative that will be presented to the ancient of days and will be because of his innocence and that he went through with the the redemption process he will be given all dominion and authority and he will be worshiped and he is the true king seated on the throne and when did that happen his resurrection he rose Right? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, to sit down at the right hand of God the Father. Where is he right now? He is the king and he is seated on the throne. All right? Now remember, in Daniel, man, it sure didn't look like that with the eye. And today, it doesn't look like that so much. But what is the fact? If we pull back the curtain, what has Daniel taught us? God is in control. He is the king. They have given into the way of the beast. Look at John eight forty four. 44. I don't even remember what it says, but I wrote it in my notes, so let's read it. Oh, yeah, that's good. (laughs) They're really sassing Jesus in this chapter. They said to him, we weren't born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So they're claiming that God is their father because they come from the line of Abraham. And so they're, they're questioning his little line saying, you know, we know your past. We didn't come from sexual immorality. And so Jesus is like, bam! If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father who the devil who's that the beast and your will is to do your father's desires you think you are the holy ones of Israel but i'm telling you that honestly you have become the what the beast you have become the beast these beast images are a way of talking about the human condition We all have the potential of becoming the beast. Do you remember when we talked about Nebuchadnezzar becoming the beast? Do you remember that? And we kind of went over the difference between the animal and humanity. And the whole idea was God created us in his image, in in real humanity, to display his image and to rule over the beast. But instead, when we do not bow the knee to God, instead of uh, producing the image of God, or what I would call true humanity, we actually become the beast. And we saw that with Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember. And so we talked about with animals, they are driven by instinct. They're driven by their belly, their stomach, their appetite. But humanity, true humanity is not that. We have the ability to check our impulses to have self-control. We have the ability in, in true humanity to think, me winning doesn't mean you have to lose, right? And we care. We have a moral conscience. The best version of humanity is working together and it is the ability to be others-oriented. That is the best humanity right I don't have to I can't sit and talk a lion into not eating me he does not care all right but we were made in to be humanity made in the image of God but when human beings reject God something horrible happens to them and they become beasts I'm not talking about an intellectual belief by the way I'm talking about living out the kingdom of God here on earth The very upside down kingdom, according to our flesh, not being self-protecting, but being self-sacrificial, not fearful. Why? Because perfect love casts out all fear. I want you to stop and think about that for a while. I need to use that more. Not to be fearful. Why? Because perfect love casts out all fear. If you understand the love of God, who he is, and that he loves you, that perfect love casts out fear. Not violent, but people of peace. Remember what scripture says, when up to you, when you get a choice in the matter, you be people of what? Of peace. Not violence, of peace. Man, that is absolutely against What our nature wants. Not corrupt, but true. To live out that kind of kingdom. And we're going to see it because this is what he is talking about all through Matthew. Be like Jesus. Whether or not the empires represented in Daniel's dream are historical empires of the past We know the imagery carries through to Revelation. World empires rising and falling, trampling on the innocent and satisfying their appetite. Revelations continues this imagery with much similarity. If you go, the similarity of the imagery of the beasts of Daniel, you will see it. In Revelation, as it comes to full culmination, but there it's, it's still the idea of this beast, these worldly empires rising up, this system of Antichrist that will continue until one day all is made right. And we see that in Daniel, we see it in Revelation. Since Rome, we have continued to see processions of beastly empires with their own Antichrist rising in power, trampling the innocent. What will the final kingdom look like? I don't know. I don't know. Will a leader rise up within them? Seems to be the way. That seems to be how the beasts work. They trample. They continue. They get worse. And as time goes on, you see leaders rising up. We've seen it in all of history. Look back. I can name you some antichrists who are trampling over the innocent. Who are violent, who are creating empires of power. We've seen it throughout all of our history. But in the end, the beast is destroyed. And in the end, in Revelation, when the saints are crying out, How long, oh God? How long, oh God? Because it's still going. How long? The answer is what? Not forever. So before I do chapter eight, how about we take a moment just to worship that? All right, I've been wanting to play you this song. I, I'm telling you, I was bawling my eyes out on the way here because when you study this and, and even like when you've lost someone and you just long for heaven, can I remind you of what we have to look forward to before we go back in to more visions? Hey, do you mind playing that worship song? Let's just worship for a minute.
2: How I long Read the air of heaven Where pain is gone And mercy fills the streets To look upon The one who bled to save me And walk with him For all eternity There will be a day Bye. Then be
1: just picture all the the ones I've taught about all of them being beside the heroes of the faith some we don't even know their names my son it's going to be glorious finally over everything complete to walk the streets of the kingdom of god that's what we are to be focused on that is it not fear Perfect love casts out all fear. And he's going to tell us along the way. It's going to be bad. And when you think it's bad, it's going to get worse. But they don't win. They don't. So let's not live like they're winning. They're not winning. And we need to be about our business. And that's what we focus on. So, you can play that on the way home for those of you. I know I grew up in a church where if you raised your hand, they thought you had a question. (laughs) It took me a long time to be free. Right? It really did. And I've seen real free, and I don't really want that. I mean, I don't want you to hit me on the forehead, okay? That's happened to me too. When you're in ministry, lots of things happen to you. And by the way, I failed. I had to get hit twice. And um, that was not a good day for me. And I'm telling you, I did not appreciate it. And I thought, if you hit me one more time, Pastor, I'm a redneck. I'm going to come up and it's on. Okay, because I believe if God can, wants to knock you down, he will. And I don't think he needs two times to do it. Right? So, I mean, that's one sense of just craziness, Right? And there's conformity in that too. But then on the other hand, there's complete being bound and not having the freedom to experience the joy that we feel in worship. And I'm not going to be bound with that either. And so I think there's a beautiful expression of uh, truth, right? Knowing the truth and freedom of worship. All right? So for those of you who um don't like that just drive home in your car and just play off you know it'll be so good because that's the best song okay so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna read chapter eight to you and you're gonna be like here we go again back in the vision hmm i think i'm gonna read to you just the first sections through one through fourteen. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulay Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns. And both horns were high but one was higher than the other and the higher one came up last I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward no beast could stand before him and there was no one who could rescue from his power he did as he pleased and he became great as I considered behold a male goat came from the west "...across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the banks of the canal, and he ran at him in a powerful wrath. And I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns." And the ram had no power to stand before him, and he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then, I want you to notice something. in visions. Do you, do you notice a little um, exaggeration? We're going we're to see this later, okay? We do it too. Man, you should have seen it. That fish was the biggest thing you've ever seen in your life. Okay, if you read that and you took it literal, would that be the biggest thing I'd ever seen in my life? No. It's an expression. But do you see that every time it says no one, no one could conquer this one. No one. It was so great. There could be no one to help, then the next one came and conquered, and then what'd they say about that? But no one. Okay, I just want you to pick up. We get so literal in our thinking that we get into danger, and it's really gonna put you in danger in eschatology. Okay, If you remember when Josiah, when I taught you the kings way back in the first, you're like, I don't remember that. Well, let me remind you. Josiah said oh, there was never a king like him ever before. He was the best king you've ever seen. Never, never again will there be a king. Hezekiah came <laughs> never before. Is there going to be a better? You know, are you with me? Okay. Then the goat became exceedingly great and when he was strong, the great horn was broken and said of it there came up four conspicuous horns towards the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. It grew great, even to the hosts of heaven. And some of the hosts and some of the stars, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. Here's a test. Did stars literally fall out of the sky? Okay, you're, you're coming along. It became great, even as great as the prince of hosts, and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, so he's overhearing a holy conversation. How long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me for twenty three hundred evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Do you want to teach this? Okay let's just break down some of the imagery just a little bit and then we'll pull it together next week okay let's break it down the time when was the time third year of the reign of belshazzar so it is two years after the vision in chapter seven just so you know okay what is the location susa the citadel in the area of Elam. you can look at it on a map the Yulay Canal, some may say river, okay? This actually was the heart of the Persian Empire, that area, this capital of the Persian Empire. Okay, so let's look at the vision. Let's just get the characters, the facts, okay? The first vision was a ram. It had two horns. It said both of them were high, okay? But one was Higher, and it came later. Okay, that's, that's a huge clue. Remember the bear was raised up on one side? There's your hint, okay? So this ram he saw is charging, and it is charging westward and north northward and southward. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and interpret it for you. Gabriel's going to do it in a minute. But who do you think this is? The Medes and the Persians. Okay? You've got this ram power, powerhouse, right? It's got two horns. They're both strong, but one becomes stronger, and it's the one that comes up at the end. That's the Persians. It's going to become the Persian Empire. This ram is charging. It is charging westward and northward and southward, which makes sense because if it's charging those directions, what direction is it coming out of? The East, okay, is the Persian Empire, okay? No beast could stand before him. Isn't it interesting that once again, that word beast comes up, which reminds us of what dream before? In chapter seven, these empires of beasts, he's referring back to that, okay? So the second animal, and by the way, isn't it interesting that these animals aren't described as beasts, they're actually Animals we are aware of, but they're also sacrificial animals. So there's a spiritual temple sacrificial element to this vision. Okay. The second one is a male goat. He came from the West. So who do you think this is going to be? Greece. Okay. Came from the West. It says that he came across the face of the earth. So what does that tell you? Lots and lots of territory. And then it says, without even touching the ground. Right? Does this remind you of the leopard with the four wings and the four heads? Okay? So swift, very swift. It has a conspicuous horn between his eyes. Okay? What do horns represent? Power, kings, usually kings, leaders, powers. Um... And so there's one major horn between his eyes. And he charged the ram and broke his two horns. And it says that literally the wrath between those two was what? Horrific. Go back and check out the horrible, violent, enraged battles between the Persian Empire and the Greeks. Okay? Just wrath. So the goat becomes exceedingly great. And then it says that while he was still strong, the horn was what? Broken. And it was not by a human hand. It's like not by, by anyone in particular. It just says it was broken. It doesn't say it was conquered. It doesn't say by any certain person. And what do we know about Alexander the Great? He died young. Many believe from alcoholism. Alright? And, and you can read various ideas. But he died. And then it says that from that came how many horns? Four horns, right? Toward the four winds of heaven, which also refers back to Daniel 7, 2-3, through how the four winds stirred everything up. So you, you have in this idea, these beasts, the four winds stirring it up, these battles, and what do we know about Alexander the Great? When he died, he did not have necessarily... Um, an heir that he gave it to, he gave it to four generals. Okay, four generals. Um, It says, But out of one of them came a little horn, and he grew great towards the south, the east, and the glorious land. What, What do you think the glorious land is? Israel. Okay, Israel. This land, the land of Israel. Okay, so the four generals, one of them was given Greece, one of them was given Asia Minor. The two we want to pay attention to are Seleucus, he was given Syria, and the land of Israel. And the Ptolemies, have you ever heard of that? Were given Egypt. What we're going to look at is the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Okay, so you have one that was given Syria, the other, and, and Israel, and then the other, Egypt. But the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, they are going to battle like nobody's biz, and guess what land lies right between them that is always being fought over? The land of Israel, okay? And so, at one point, though, Antiochus Epiphanes is going to come up. I, I don't have time because I'm out, but here's the thing. What we know about this, and so when you read this week, because I know you're going to do your homework, and, and we're getting into the nitty-gritty now. The end of chapter 8, 9, 11, it's intense. You need to read it. And to be quite honest, if you would, do, if you would just like outline it, So that you have the bullet points of what's going on, it's going to help you because it is going to get detailed. It is. And then I'm going to bring it back and try to tell you a story that you remember, but it is detailed. Okay. So what you know right now is we had chapter seven of the four beasts. Three of them we pretty much know. The fourth one is the only one there is any speculation over because it's not likened to anything. It's this mega super beast. Okay, it either represents an empire in history or a perpetual empire of history, or it's all about some future antichrist. That's a little bit not exhausted in the dream, okay, in the vision, so we have that. But now we're coming back to look at these two that we know for sure who are because Gabriel's gonna tell us, all right, that it is the Medo-Persian empire And it is the empire of Greece. And almost no one argues that the little horn is Antiochus Epiphanes. All right? The madman. I'm going to teach you all about him next week. Why does this matter? I'm going to just give you a hint. Because what he does to Jerusalem and what he does in the temple Of Jerusalem, when he offers a pig on the altar and does all that he does, right, is referred to as the abomination of desolation. Why does it matter? Because Jesus is going to talk about that. And a lot of this pivots on eschatology. He is going to refer to when you see the abomination of desolation. So we need to know what he's talking about. And it's all uh, this kingdom idea throughout the Bible. And I hope, man, I hope God gives me the ability to make you see what what I see in this. So study chapter eight. All right, document it. Don't get lost in it. We win. We win. I mean, that is fantastic. But the thing is, keep in mind, Christianity, our salvation, like I started with, with that young man and his remark. It's not about a kingdom to come. It's not just about a future kingdom. I'm a citizen of that kingdom now. I should be living as a citizen of that kingdom now. That is why we're here. We're going to see in Matthew chapter 24, it says that that is our job, to proclaim the kingdom. It says the gospel of the kingdom. Do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is the good news that when they announce the coming of the king, that is the gospel. We are announcing that the king has come. He is here. He is seated on his throne, and we are spreading that news. And one day, guess what? He will return, and it won't be on a donkey in peace. It will be on a white stallion, and we will be singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen? So on your way home, listen to hymn of heaven and get all charismatic. All right, Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you that I I have the opportunity of teaching the Bible. There's nothing like it. I thank you that I have this opportunity because you know that I need to keep my face in this book. I have to. I have to always keep a kingdom perspective. I have to. I can't imagine, Lord, being in this world, not understanding the overall story and the fact that perfect love casts out fear. I'm a citizen of the heavenly kingdom because of what you did for me. And that you don't leave me. You're with me. And you've given me the ability through the Holy Spirit to live out your kingdom on this earth and to draw other people to you, to duplicate you, to do what you did. And Lord, as long as there's breath in my lungs, I pray God that you would give me the power to do that. But Lord, is that hymn saying today, in my gut, I long that this would be the day that we all gather around with the heroes of the faith and our family and we sing the hymn of heaven. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. All hail King Jesus. We love you. Be with us this day.
3: May we live out our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.